History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 316th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, I'm going to be bringing you an investigation of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. This is one of my most favorite locations that happens to be haunted in the world. And this was the first time I got to go and do strictly an investigation. There was no tour involved, just us trying to find some spirits. Do you think we might have found some? Is this a trick question? Before we get into that, I want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Amanda, Anne with no E, Jenna, Trish, and Lynn with an E at the end. Welcome, ladies. And now, this moment naughty. Textiles are very hard historic objects to preserve and retain through the centuries for obvious reasons. Moths, humidity, and light can play havoc with cloth, but textiles are very important treasures to help us understand how a people lived, their culture, their wealth, and their values. For some people like me, it's just really cool to be able to touch or see something that was worn by someone with historic appeal. Seeing something from the Victorian era is pretty amazing. Imagine being able to see something dated to the time of Queen Elizabeth I. She reigned from 1558 to 1603. Anne Boleyn was Elizabeth's mother and she loved pearls. So when gowns were made for the queen, she always asked for pearls to be included. She had some elaborate gowns that were very unique and one dress was featured in a portrait of her named Rainbow Portrait. The gown features fabric hand embroidered with forest animals, insects, flowers, and a small bear. A Larry Lynn, a curator at the historic royal palaces in England, believes she has found part of that gown. This is an amazing piece because it was believed that none of Elizabeth I's dresses survived. The clothing of royalty was always made from the finer things, so many times these items would be repurposed or given away as gifts. This dress was given to a member of the court, but the queen was so vain, no one could be dressed as fine as she was, so none of her gowns could ever be worn. It is believed that the dress was cut apart by the new owner and made into an altar cloth for St. Faith's Church in Bacton, Herefordshire. The idea that a piece of cloth used for years to cover an altar would turn out to be part of the only dress belonging to Queen Elizabeth I to survive certainly is odd. And now I want to play you a promo from one of my new favorite podcasts out there. I think you guys are going to absolutely love it. Odd Tonic. Hurry, hurry. Step right up. Come marvel at tales of weird history that prove fiction has nothing on reality. Thrill at stories of strange science from the utterly mind-bending to the horribly misguided. Chill from true tales of the unexplained 
paranormal, and supernatural. All this plus comedy, romance, and variety. It's colossal. It's stupendous. It's your new favorite podcast, a delicious, mysterious tincture called Odd Tonic. Join us in the parlor each week, dear guest, for a cup of tea and a bizarre, enthralling tale to delight the mind and stir the senses. Odd Tonic. An exquisite elixir for those who love the odd? Or a tantalizing treat for those who are the odd? Yes. Odd Tonic is available on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and at oddtonicsociety.com. And now, this month in history. In the month of November, on the 17th in 1558, Queen Elizabeth I ascended the throne of England at the age of 25. Elizabeth was born to King Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn in 1533 and was the last of the five monarchs of the House of Tudor. The era of her reign would come to be known as the Elizabethan era and it was a good time for England. She succeeded her half-sister Bloody Mary and was not one to force religion on her subjects. She did establish the Protestant church that would come to be known as the Church of England, however. She never married and became known as the Virgin Queen and was celebrated for that. She was cautious in foreign affairs, but did eventually find that she could no longer avoid conflict with Spain and led England to one of its greatest military victories with the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588. In her later years, she became severely depressed and eventually fell ill. She died on March 24, 1603 at the age of 69. Her coffin was carried at night on a barge lit with torches to Whitehall. Elizabeth's funeral would be a month later, and her coffin was carried on a horse-drawn hearse to Westminster Abbey. The St. Augustine Lighthouse is a location full of history, but it also has many stories of tragedy. The tower that stands here today is not the original lighthouse. There have been several towers through the centuries. The one built just prior to the current tower was closer to the sea and eventually fell into it, but not before tragedy hit. The tower that exists today was started in 1871 and was completed in 1874. That construction would leave another tragedy in its wake. Others would lose their lives here too. And in the wake of all this, we have spirits. I visited this location many times, but this would be Kelly's first visit. And this would be the first time I would conduct an official investigation here. Join Kelly and I as we share the investigation of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Well, I have roped Kelly into joining me on another episode. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing great. I'm back. <laughs> and you know what? Everybody loves having you on. So it's not like I'm really having to force you to do something, I don't think. Guys, she totally twisted my arm. She laid me out, kicked my butt, but I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I actually have a blast. I'm just teasing, obviously. <laughs> so, Kelly, what's really fun about this is that you had never visited the St. Augustine Lighthouse before. So, as I like to ask you, what were your impressions of the place? 
Oh, it was beautiful. And I guess seeing it from a distance, you never really imagine exactly how tall it is. And I have to say, climbing up to the top of that was pretty intimidating. (laughs) It was, especially if you're a little bit unsure of heights. And then you have the added, I don't know, wonderful thing where you get a little bit vertigo. Yeah, you get vertigo. So going up all of those stairs didn't help with that. Well, just the roundy round of it kind of throws my equilibrium off a little bit, it seems to. I've told the story of the tragedies on previous episodes that have happened here at the lighthouse, but let's do a brief recap. The original lighthouse here was built from wood and burned to the ground in 1586 when Sir Francis Drake attacked the settlement. Another wooden one was built, and in the early 1700s, it was replaced with the old Spanish watchtower, which was made from coquina. This tower would pass from the Spanish to the British and finally to the United States in 1821 as Florida passed from country to country. As I said earlier, it eventually fell into the sea due to erosion in 1880. A keeper, Joseph Andro, and his wife, Maria de los Dolores Mestre Andro, lived here before the Civil War. In 1860, Joseph was on a scaffold to whitewash the exterior of the tower. The scaffold collapsed and Joseph fell more than 60 feet to his death. Maria witnessed the whole thing and would take over for Joseph. She was the first female and the first of Hispanic descent to have that job. During the Civil War, a local harbor master named Paul Arnau and Maria removed the lens from the lighthouse to keep it from Union soldiers and they buried it in the ground. Arnau was taken captive and under torture on a vessel, he revealed the location of the lens and the Union forces replaced it so they could see the shipping lanes. Maria left after this and never returned. The second tragedy involved Hezekiah H. Pitty, who was in charge of constructing the second lighthouse, and I'm sure nearly all of you are familiar with the story. His four children, Mary, Eliza, Carrie, and Edward, and a neighbor girl who was African-American, jumped into a supply cart and rode it down the rails to where the supplies were loaded, When they got to the gate, the cart flipped over it and down into the water, trapping the kids under it. Two of Pity's daughters, Eliza and Mary, died, and it is believed the African-American girl did too. A construction worker saved Carrie and Edward. So those are the tragedies that happened here, Kelly. We weren't alone on this investigation. Listener Myra Wheeler had contacted me to let me know that she, her boyfriend Ken, and her mother Mary, who's also a listener, would be in Florida. And they were going to do an investigation at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And so we were totally in. It was so great getting to meet up with more listeners. I love it. And we have the opportunity to do that. I know. It's a lot of fun. And Myra has done a lot of paranormal investigating. She sure has. She had all kinds of stories to tell us. Yeah, she's been to a lot of places. And she's done several, I think, with celebrity paranormal investigators, too. You and I decided to go up to St. Augustine early. And I took you into the Pirate Museum. What did you think? It was incredible. All the artifacts and just the way that they had everything laid out. It was such a neat experience. I really loved it there. Yeah, I remember the first time I was going to go there, I thought it was going to be a little bit hokey because you're thinking Pirate Museum, really? But it's owned by a guy who's done some treasure hunting and he has collected a lot of memorabilia. There's a lot of history in there. Yeah, not hokey at all. No. Then we met up with Myra and her family at Harry's for dinner. This is one of the haunted locations in St. Augustine and one of our favorite places to eat. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I was so glad to revisit that location. I know, they have some great New Orleans-style food there, and it just has a great ambiance about it, wonderful service, and then, of course, like I said, it's also one of the haunted locations in St. Augustine, but really, what place there isn't? True. Then we were off to one of the handful of places, I will say, with no hesitation, is haunted, and that is the St. Augustine Lighthouse. 
let me set the mood here for everybody real quick. Imagine for a moment that you were all alone working as a keeper at this lighthouse. It's at night and you need to get the oil up to the top in order to keep the light lit. Kelly, that is you and I climbing up the stairs there at the lighthouse, and that noise in the background is the wind. It was actually a very creepy sound because you you just got the full effect as to what it must have been like climbing those stairs and just being alone and, and hearing that. It was very eerie. We started the investigation by climbing those stairs. There's about 219 of them all the way to the top of the lighthouse. Certainly not one of my favorite places to be when it's windy or dark. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand why. Definitely. You, even when you were up there, were kind of plastering yourself against the side going, wow, it is windy. Oh, gosh. I was afraid to get out on that observation deck. I mean, you're literally up there and it just has this bar. You're, how many stories is the whole lighthouse? Oh, gosh. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but you can see all of St. Augustine from it. It is really high. And so you step out onto the observation deck and I was plastered up against the wall. Like, I did not want to get near the edge. And unbeknownst to me, I was leaning back on the door. And so then all of a sudden, because it was a windy night, a big gust of wind hit the back of that door and it felt like it was shoving me towards the edge and it freaked me out. So I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Took a couple of pictures. I'm out. <laughs> Going back inside. <laughs> I have gone out there on the observation deck when it's light out and I did go out there a couple of times when it's been dark. I did not do that this evening though. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I've done it enough. I know what it looks like. Yes, it's very cool. I'm good just standing right back here by the Fresnel lens. Yeah, definitely. If the door hadn't have pushed me, I might have been a little bit braver and stayed out a little bit longer. But right when the door started pushing me, I had already snapped a couple shots. And so I was good. You, you were good. <laughs> I was yeah. good. I'm ready to go. Let's 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 go back down. <laughs> now, it had been a while since I'd been to the lighthouse inside probably, I would say, a couple of years. And they've redone the decor on the different landings. Like you go up a few flights and then there's a landing and then you go up another set of stairs and then there's another landing. So you can rest as you're going up. And they used to have different displays that would be on each of these landings, and they've changed that out. One of the new displays or additions is this story about Smokey the Cat. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes. Poor Smokey. <laughs> so there was a brother and sister who had lived here at the lighthouse, and the little girl had a pet cat named Smokey. Her brother decided one day to see if Smokey could float, so he attached a parachute to the cat and threw it off the top of the lighthouse. That's terrible. Oh, I can't <laughs> even imagine that poor cat. Oh you can just see the hair on the back of its neck sticking straight up. It did indeed float all the way to the ground. And then the scared creature promptly ran off and stayed away for a few days. I think it was a few weeks <laughs> that it was gone for, if I remember correctly. Oh, you're probably right. I mean, I can <laughs> it imagine. It was a little bit of time. It was like, I'm never going near that tower again. No, it was a little bit stressed out. <laughs> 
The lighthouse has always held an allure for me and a spiritual connection. This is where I had my first real unexplained experience. I'd heard what I thought was a ghost dog with my sister when I was a teenager, but this was really what I consider the real deal, maybe because I was an adult. And what was really cool about the experience at the lighthouse is there was no need for any investigation equipment. It was special and always will be, and it's why it's the story I share every time I'm asked to be on a podcast or to speak about the paranormal. And I've told you guys that story over and over again. It was us getting locked into the tower by something we could not see. And that's why I said we didn't need any equipment. The door was locked. The only way to lock that deadbolt was with a key. And the only one who had the key was one of the tour guides who wasn't anywhere near the tower. And this was inside of the tower. So I was not expecting for the keeper's house to be the place where we would have all of our experiences this evening. We made our way down to the basement where Pete is said to reside. And we think we might have caught an EVP. I'm going to go ahead and play it for you guys. One thing to keep in mind is, as much as I would love to say that it was just the four of us who were investigating this location, we were there with a group of people. So there's a lot of background noise. And so I wasn't really looking for any kind of EVPs on this because I wasn't really going to trust anything. But every so often I thought I would catch something that sounded a little bit different. And this is one of those times. So that is the original. Now I'm going to play it amplified. And I'll play it again. So what it sounds like to me, Kelly, is somebody sounded like it was male repeating something like, thank you, thank you. Yeah, definitely. It, it's very hard to make out because we did have so many other people in the area, although I think we were by ourselves at that time, weren't we? I think there were a couple other people that were down in the basement when we first came down there, but they were being very quiet, and I do believe they had left before we caught this. Oh, that's right. They were in the other room, and they were just sitting there silently. Yeah, so I, if, I do remember if nothing else, they were being very quiet, and if I would have heard them talking, I would have said something. We didn't hear this audibly. This was something that I didn't catch until I was listening back to the audio. It's definitely a very low-class EVP. I'm going to go ahead and play it one more time. See if you hear, thank you, thank you. Sometimes the smell of smoke comes from down here in the basement or outside of the keeper's house. Pete, who is down here in the basement supposedly, was a keeper, Captain Peter Rasmussen. And he was not allowed to smoke in the house by his wife. So some wonder if this is him sneaking a smoke down here in the basement. And I believe when I did the episode on the St. Augustine Lighthouse the first time, we were on a tour and we were down in the basement and one of the girls on the tour said that somebody had poked her and they thought that that was perhaps Pete poking her. And I thought I'd caught an EVP that sounded like it was saying it was me. So that was kind of cool. We decided to get the dowsing rods out to see if we had anybody with us who would respond to us, and we did get a yes, and that it was a male entity, but that was about it for the basement, which usually people are a little bit more creeped out about the basement. That's all the activity we got down there. So we decided to head upstairs to the first floor, and we joined Myra and Mary, who had already been having an interaction with at least one spirit. We sat down at the table with our EMFs. We had two of them. And then they also had their sitting there. I'm going to go ahead and play you the audio of the exchange that we had during this time. 
Thank you for showing up to talk to us. We got new friends here for you. We have Diane and we have Kelly. Can you say hello to them? Okay, would you please let Diane and Kelly know that you're here? They're friends of ours. They just want to talk to you too. I know we told you we'd leave, but then we have company now, so. Ken left, so one of us left. If you'll let us know that you're still here, one more time, and I myself will go downstairs. Oh, I'm up right up to them. Thank you. Uh, thank Both you. of them are going. Yeah. yeah, all three. Thank you. Thank you. I made a promise. I'm leaving. <laughs> well, it was nice hanging out with you, Mary. <laughs> she has to get out now. So, Kelly, that was funny because they had told the spirit they would leave and they were getting ready to do that when you and I came along. And then Mary ended up having to leave because it was like, yeah, I'll respond to you, but you're <laughs> going to have to leave. So Mary's like, I'll leave if you say something. Right. Well, they keep their word. And that's important in terms of respect for the spirit. So <laughs> we did a live on Facebook for our Losers Club over at Facebook and we got a lot of interactions with the EMF detectors and they got to see that. Yeah, they were reacting really well. Using those and the dowsing rods, it seems we were talking to the children who haunt the property. I'll go ahead and play that exchange here for you. Is this one of the kids with us? This one's right, yeah. They down. So we have one of the children with us, or maybe more than one? It went back and did a double this. Okay, so we have kids Thank with you. us. Thank you for joining Thank us. You. Yeah, do you like the lights on those? They look really cool. This one, if you guys touch this one, it'll actually make noise, too, if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Can you have a signal over here now? Who's over by the window? Did you come over to be with me? I can't go down the stairs yet. I have to turn a light on to do that. <laughs> So as we continue to press for more details, it seems that one of the pity girls was with us and usually I've had a lot of interactions with Eliza, but apparently Mary was hanging out with us. Yep, we were we were having fun with Mary. She was actually really responsive. Eliza and Mary, Mary were the two in the accident. Oh, it's something to say no, and hard to guess. So this is Mary? I think so. Oh, Both EMFs are going off, too. Well, I think we have Mary with us. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Mary. It's nice to meet you. What we'd like to do is tell you our names. We just said she was the oldest. How do we introduce ourselves? Okay. My name's Kevin. I'm Diane. And I'm Myra. That's pretty close to uh, Mary. We do have a Mary with us. Yes, we do. close. Did she go downstairs? She yes. went downstairs. Okay. Mary went downstairs. Then we decided to ask her some of the questions that we like to ask that have been inspired by you guys, our listeners, who've joined us on our live feeds. For example... We ask about temperature changes, you know, do you feel when it gets colder or warmer, and whether they can leave certain areas. 
Mary interacted with the EMF detectors a lot. She would step away and shut down the lights when we would ask her. And I'll play that exchange here. Question I'd like to ask, Mary, if you would answer. Do you get cold when it's cold outside? Can you feel that? And when it's really hot outside, can you feel how hot it is? I'm wondering if you can feel the temperature changes. You can? Thank you. Thank you for answering. Can you stop? Can you stop for a minute so I can ask you another question? Please. Please. Just stop touching for a moment. Just step away from it. There you go. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. There's a wood outside with all the trees and stuff. Do you ever go out there to play? Do you play in the woods? Do you not go outside? You can light it up if it's if you don't go outside, or you can light it up if you don't play in the woods. Do you just stay inside the house here? Can you stop for a minute so that we can ask you the question again? Thank you. Thank you. Do you stay in the house all the time? If you stay in the house all the time, you would light it up to red. Now I'm going to... Can you go outside of the house? If you go outside of the house, can you light it up to red? Are you still here? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe she doesn't understand what we're asking. Can you stop touching for a moment? Thank you. Do you like to play in the water with your brother and sisters? Do you go swimming? Do you play any games? Like hide and seek? Maybe you can play with jacks. Do you remember playing with jacks? Did you play with balls? So, does your spirit mature into like an adult? Even when you pass as a child, you don't play games anymore? Are you still here? I'm asking boring questions. I thought we were asking. Oh no, you're here. I thought we were asking interesting questions. You probably don't get asked. Those questions. Are you tired of talking to us? 
Does your little sister like to bother you? Is your older sister bossy? <laughs> I am an older sister. I liked being an older sister. <laughs> So, Kelly, when I was listening back to the audio here, I thought I might have caught an EVP. Again, there's a lot of contamination, but this kind of stuck out a little bit to me because you get used to the murmuring and noise in the background, and this sounded a little bit different. I think you probably just love it when I go, Kelly, Kelly, come here and listen to this for a minute. I always get excited. (laughs) You're like, did you get something? I'm like, I don't know. So I played it for you. You thought you heard something a little different. And now I'm going to play it for the listeners and see... Do you guys agree? Is this something different or is it just some background noise, something like that? Does your little sister like to bother you? Is your older sister bossy? (laughs) So I thought we got an answer there. Did your younger sister ever bother you? I'll play the original one more time. Does your little sister like to bother you? Is your older sister bossy? (laughs) Now I'm going to go ahead and play it for you with the section that I think is the EVP amplified. Does your little sister like to bother you? Is your older sister bossy? (laughs) And I'll play it one more time. Does your little sister like to bother you? Is your older sister bossy? (laughs) And now I'm going to pull out the EVP all by itself, and I will play that for you. And one more time. What do you hear, Kelly? I hear a female, a young female saying, yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. And the reason why I think this is possibly an EVP is because not only did you guys hear the tonage to it seemed a little bit different than anything we've heard in the background. Most of the background noise is murmuring. This to me was a clear, distinctive word. And you guys know I don't believe in coincidences. So what are the chances that we've asked a yes or no question and that we get a yes right after it? And it's somebody just in the background randomly saying yes. Right. And I can't recall anybody in the tour group sounding like that at all. No, I we didn't have any children with us, number no. one. And this sounds like a younger voice to me. And there was nobody in that actual room with us. I think most of the people were either downstairs in the basement or over maybe in the parlor or something. Yeah, there were actually very few people, I believe, in that building at that time, from what I recall. Yeah. Now, to let you guys know how we were set up here, I told you that we had some EMF detectors sitting on the table, but I also started doing something 
when we did our investigation in Villisca, I have my little H1 Zoom that I record everything straight through. I just usually set it down on a table somewhere and it just records everything. And then I go back through and that's how it reminds me of the experiences that we had or any history information that I might have gotten from a tour guide or something. And then I have a smaller little mini recorder that we'll do short bursts with and see if we catch an EVP that we can listen to in real time so we can rewind it back and listen to it. So what I'm going to play for you here is us listening back to a short burst being caught on the big recorder that's catching everything. Right there. Is that where you're hearing it? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm hearing it right Something is... Kelly, I wanted to play that, even though it's hard to hear and there's a whole lot going on because you've got me playing the recorder back and then we're also talking about it. But that's the reason why I wanted people to hear it is because you're hearing us discussing, hey, we hear something and then how we're debating what we think we're hearing. So I wanted people to kind of get a feel for that. So I'm not expecting you guys to hear the EVP that we're hearing. Yeah, it was really faint. But what I noticed between this one and the other one that you just recently found when you were listening back to the audio is it sounds like the same tone of voice. 
Exactly. What I'm going to do to make it easier for everybody here is I'm going to actually pull the audio from the little recorder. So this is the original from the little recorder, the short burst right now. Kelly and I are from here in Florida. We live about two hours away. And I will play that one more time. Kelly and I are from here in Florida. We live about two hours away. Yeah, so like you said, Kelly, it sounds like it has the exact same cadence and lilthy girlish voice to me is what it sounded like. Yes, definitely. It, it definitely sounds like the same voice, the same person or spirit communicating. I'm going to play the original again here, but with that part amplified. Kelly and I are from here in Florida. We live about two hours away. And I'll play it again. Kelly and I are from here in Florida. We live about two hours away. And then here is just the actual EVP itself amplified. And I'll play it again and listen for the little girl voice and see if you guys can hear what she's saying. We could not make it out. Yeah, I wish I could because it definitely sounds like something's being said there. You can hear the cadence. Yeah, it's not just one word. It's it seems to me like it's a line like I la 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 la. Yeah, it's so hard to discern. I'll do it one more time. Almost like I like her. Maybe she's saying she likes her sister. I like her. Yeah, I, I can't tell, honestly. Let me know, guys, if you are listening to it, what you think you hear. I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting I like her. So we started to lose the communication that we were having in there. So we decided that we would head back over to the lighthouse and see if we got any more interaction there. And we think we started to communicate with the little African-American girl that we think died in the accident, too. There's not a lot of records out there about her. I have a feeling maybe it was because she was black that, you know, they just weren't as good about record keeping with that kind of stuff. Since she wasn't a member of the Pity family, maybe they just didn't say what happened to her. But it's my belief that she did pass away in the accident. And I think we're probably going to get some proof of that here, possibly. Keep in mind that we have certain words that we don't use anymore nowadays. Occasionally, I will read to you guys a newspaper article from back in the day, and it will use terminology that we just is not appropriate nowadays. But keep in mind that when we're talking to spirits, they may not know our modern vernacular. So they don't know if we were to ask them, are you African American? They may have no idea what we're asking them. So we are going to use a term here that we would not normally use just to see if we can get a response from this little girl. So I just want to let you guys know that off the top. We are not trying to be disrespectful in any way. And I think when you listen to the audio, you'll hear our angst about having to use the word, but we're going to go ahead and use that. We'd love to communicate with you if you'd like to communicate with us. I know there was one time that I've been here in the past when either Eliza or Mary or both locked us inside the lighthouse. <laughs> Do you girls like to play here in the lighthouse? It might not be 
So Kelly, apparently she did not want us in there. And just so people know, 
I couldn't find her name anywhere in the record, so we didn't have a name to call her by. You and I, Kelly, do go back into the lighthouse, even though she wanted us to leave, but we went up onto a landing where we were, when we were having this interaction, they have these displays that are down at the bottom of the tower. So we were in one of those rooms. So in we didn't- the oil, right? Yeah, in with the oil so that you could feel what it felt like to have to pick up that can and carry it up the- stairs. Right. It's really heavy. So we decided we won't go into either one of those rooms, but we wanted to go up onto one of the landings to see if we could get some communication with somebody else. And while we were up there, we were discussing the exchange. And of course, I wasn't in the room with you, so I didn't get to know that. But whoever the spirit was, whether it was this little girl or somebody else, it seemed like it had a very strong hand because when it would answer us, you could even hear, you'd be like, whoa. Yeah, it was immediate and forceful when the dowsing rods were being moved. It was it was really incredible. I, I've had like definitive in terms of if you're asking a yes or no question and it does a double yes, meaning mm-hmm. like it separates by itself and then comes back yes. firmly, but never to the degree as what these rods were moving in that location that evening. Yeah, you said the feel of the dowsing rods changed and it was as though Definitely. someone were really emphasizing that they were done with us. Mm-hmm. So we were up there on the landing, we get no interaction and you were like, you know, they didn't want us to be in here, whoever was talking to us. Maybe we should just leave. So we left the tower for good that evening and we caught up with Myra, Ken and Mary. And you explained the, to them what kind of an exchange we had and how that felt. It was answering the question and it just felt like something like perhaps a hard no, and then just brought it back and just stayed there. Mm. Without being receptive or anything. I mean, I've had it react fast before, but not when you could feel the pressure that strong something. Yeah. So it was almost like when the overall impression that I got was like, I answered a couple of questions, I'm done now, like, yeah. go, you know, move along. It's like, okay, well, that was like a definitive feeling that I felt. So I'm like, let's do this back, you know. Well, we tried to do the woods for a little while, but the mosquitoes were getting us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there you're telling them it was very forceful with the rods. Yeah. And it was kind of hard to hear, I think, on the audio, but that was the conversation. This was the experience and it made it quite clear. I didn't feel like they were angry. But they had a very strong opinion, shall we say. (laughs) They wanted to make sure that you meant you were done talking to people. Yes, they made their message loud and clear. (laughs) And if you think, I don't know how many investigations they have come through here. I know they do tours every weekend and they let you run around and do a little investigating on your own. So there's a lot of activity going on here. And if you're a spirit who maybe gets drained by that or just gets tired of it, tired of the same questions, people in your space, if you're an introvert like me, you might just be done with people. Right. So after we got over there, we meet up with Mary and she talks to us about someone she was communicating with all evening. She was down in the basement and got interactions. It just seemed like whoever this spirit was, it was following her around. And after she got to talking to one of the tour guides there, they kind of put the pieces together and figured out that she was talking to someone named Charles, who'd been at the lighthouse as a child. As a matter of fact, he had been born there. And one of the guides was talking to us later on before we left. And I said, well, do you have a picture of Charles? And she's like, yeah, I've got it right here on my phone. So I asked her if I could take a picture of it. So I took a picture off of her phone and I will put that up on Instagram. He's a cute little thing. He's adorable. He's wearing like a little sailor's outfit or something. So it's just perfect. 
Charles was here as a child. Why he's returned here, we'll probably never know because he lived a long life. I think he lived into his seventies or something, didn't she say? Yes, I don't. I don't remember the exact age, but he was he was quite quite a bit older when he passed. And he did go to World War II, I believe he fought during that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to play here is audio of Mary sharing about that. And she has this EMF detector near her that was going off in regards to Charles while she's telling us this story. Who were you talking to downstairs, you know? We, I'm sure, to Charles. Oh, he was not even on the tour. Yeah, but he was born here. Oh. We had one of the ladies who works here. I was sitting down there. He's back. He's back. Are you back? You've been following me around all night. And I like it. I like it. Thank you. Thank you, my son. No thanks, Ken. Thank you. I'm not going to deal with you. Why did you say that you thought you knew who it was? I came down. We came downstairs and she introduced me. His name was Charles. Childhood home. I'm sorry, I'm talking all around to Charles. But we've been having such a good conversation. So I know it's a little hard to hear some of the audio that I'm playing back there, but that was just her basically telling us a little bit about Charles and how he's been sitting there with her and he would set off the EMF occasionally. And I stand corrected, he was in World War One, not two. I kept hoping to see something manifesting as color. This has been one of my focuses now with investigations, Kelly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Every time we were in an area where we were communicating with something we could not see, I kept asking, can you manifest as a color? Is that something you could do? Can you try? We didn't get anything to do that, especially when we were sitting in the first floor when we thought we were communicating with the daughter Mary. Right, right. There was a lot of ambient light in there. And what we found is it seems like it has to be pretty dark to see these colors and stuff. So we thought, well, let's go somewhere that we haven't investigated where it was nice and quiet. There weren't other people and it was darker. And that was the parlor. And I think we had some of our most profound experiences in here. Yeah, that that was a great experience. Um, We just had a lot of really clear communication. It felt different than the other portions and using the dowsing rods and communicating and everything for some reason just felt a lot more open. It absolutely did. And Kelly, you just seem to be a ghost magnet. (laughs) (laughs) So you are so great with those dowsing rods. And I don't know, these spirits seem to like to touch you. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, I didn't expect for us to have interactions with Joseph and Maria. These were the lighthouse keepers over at the Coquina one that fell into the sea. So to me, I'd heard stories of them haunting the keeper's house, but I couldn't figure out why they would be there because they never served there. They didn't die there. Why would they be here? Right. But I mean, the same thing is with Charles. It just maybe they enjoy it there. It reminds them of their old home. It reminds reminds them of the other lighthouse. Why would Charles be there? He might have some fond memories of being there as a child, and it's just a location that he wanted to come back to. Exactly. And one of the reasons why this was a little bit more profound to us is you've had enough experience now with the dousing rods, Kelly, that you're kind of getting used to different feels on it, especially it seemed like the lighthouse was an evening for you to be taught that. It's like you went from just having the normal dousing rods going yes and no, as they normally do, Mm -hmm. to something that felt a lot more forceful, like, you know, please get out of here. (laughs) And then when we're talking to Joseph and Maria, you could literally tell the difference between who you were talking to with the rods by their answers. Right. It it was really interesting to have it alternate between the the two feelings of how the rods would move. Yeah, you said that Maria seemed to have a more delicate touch. Absolutely. Which makes sense. You're going from a man talking to you to a woman talking Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah, she was very gentle and just very smooth and just, it's so bizarre. It just blows my mind. I love it. I absolutely love it because it's just another one of those things that you wonder about the afterlife and to have something show you that we know there's a difference between males and females when it comes to strength. And so to just have there be that difference in the way they're communicating with the dousing rods. Right. Clear, clear differences in personality. So it's very cool. I'm going to go ahead and play that exchange here right now. And I will let you guys know that while we were in this room, there is a fairly loud clock up on the mantle. You are going to hear that throughout this. I tried to get rid of any open spaces that we had where we we're waiting between a question and an answer, getting rid of some of that so you're not listening to a whole lot of clock ticking in the background. Here's this. So it is one of the keepers. Or a keeper assistant. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. This is Joseph. Yes, thank you, Joseph. I know we were speaking to you before. We couldn't remember your name, so we apologize for that. Thank you very much, Joseph. Can you ask if Maria's here, too? If who? Maria. Maria? That's his wife. his wife. Okay. Is Maria here? Maria, Joseph's wife. It's a softer yes, but a what to yes. So this is Maria Joseph's wife. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm glad that you guys are able to be here together. That's to yes. That's nice. Yeah. They had children here too, right? Yeah. Mm, I don't... I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. Was Joseph? A lot of history to try to remember. Yeah, I think Joseph. Did you have kids here? You push it away if it's no. Cross them if it's yes. Did you have? Okay, so let's see. Were your kids here when you worked here? Okay. Is there anybody still here? Yes. Okay. Thank you. 
I can't remember the story about how you passed, Joseph. Are you touching my hand? Yes, I thought of that. that felt really weird. Um, it felt like something like kind of held my elbow and then touched my hand right here. Huh. Just touched my hand or was I imagining it? Did you touch my hand? That one went straight to yes, this one's stuck. I can feel that it's stuck. Okay. Thank you. We need to get some new dowsing rods. Huh? We need to get some new dowsing yes, rods. Oh. Um, Joseph, I was going to ask before you touched Kelly, and it's okay if, yeah. if you touch her nicely. Yeah. I don't mind. Did, did you pass away while you were painting the lighthouse? I can't remember. He did. Okay. And it's going to yes, but yes, he did. Yeah. We're really sorry that happened to yeah, you. Yeah, how horrible. And it must have been really horrible for Maria, too. Yeah. Let me ask this because I can't remember. Maria, did you take over the lighthouse keeper duties then? I went out to know. Okay. Thank you. So you weren't the first female lighthouse keeper, Maria? You reset it. I Let's reset it, know. and then I'll ask you that again. Can I ask again, Maria? Were what? you the first female lighthouse well, keeper? Well, now it's going to yes. Okay. I don't know. It's crossing. <laughs> wait Sorry. a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Let me... Let's just do it one more time just to clarify. Okay. We just, just want to clarify, on. and then I'll let you ask. Okay. Maria, were you the first female lighthouse keeper here? I want you to know again. Okay. Well, okay, so, I mean, did she have help? Did she do it by herself? Were you I mean, I could be mistaken, but I thought that she took over. Were you an assistant keeper? Did you help? Did you, were you an assistant like housekeeper when your husband passed away? That's going to be Okay. So this was an interesting exchange, not only because you got touched, Kelly, but it seemed like Mary kept telling us no, that she had not been a lighthouse keeper there, that she had not taken over. But all of the historical records seemed to indicate that. And then it was almost like she was saying yes, but that she wasn't the one who was in charge, like she was an assistant. But that was at the lighthouse that fell into the sea, correct? Exactly. So I'm so wondering. That's the, that's the other thing that maybe she was trying to respond in regards to. Okay, I I did do that, but not here. That's what I was wondering, and I didn't think about that until after the fact. Yeah, as we were listening back to it, I was like, I wonder if because we're at the latest lighthouse where neither one of them would have served, if she thought we were talking about that location, and that no, she had not served here. Right, and I'm I'm you know the more I think back on it, I think that that was probably the case. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, because the thing is, it's even if it didn't show it in the historical record that she had taken over, for people who know the history of lighthouses, regardless of whether they're haunted or not, generally that was the way it would work. If a male lighthouse keeper passed away, the duties would pass over to his wife. Right. Because she was there, and they needed somebody who was there. Exactly. And then you'd have to imagine, okay, if the wife is having to take over the duties, where's the dead husband? Because they couldn't just, you know, come and get the body or whatever. Oh my gosh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, so I don't know if they would end up having to bury them somewhere near there or how that worked, but that's part of the reason why the woman was put on for duty because somebody had to keep that light going. Now imagine trying to get that oil up the stairs as a woman. Exactly. Wasn't it something like 50 pounds? 
Yeah, easily. I was just thinking about that right before you said it, that she had to be really strong. (laughs) I'm telling you that, and you know, any of them had to be really strong because some of the ghost stories that go with these lighthouses is you've got people who kind of lose their minds because you're out there all on your own. So isolated. Yeah, this one at least isn't isolated out on its own island away from everything. Well, I guess we did have to go across a bridge to get to it. True. But there is some land kind of there, so you're not as isolated. But in most cases, lighthouses, they had to grow their own food there and everything. They wouldn't get a lot of supplies to come out to them. Yeah, that would be a really lonely life, I think. So that was pretty much all of the exchanges that we had there, the interactions we had. We went and said goodbye to Myra, Mary, and Ken and really enjoyed their company. And then we headed on back home. And we were really excited to see that the new Ghost Hunters was going to go out to the lighthouse again. This would be the third time Ghost Hunters has gone out to the lighthouse, and they've always had a lot of great experiences out there, and that's part of the reason why the lighthouse supposedly had asked them to come out. Now that Grant's helming it is for them to come out because some of the activity had ramped up or something, so they were supposed to check that out. Right. I was so excited to watch the episode. Yeah, because we were just there and it investigated it. So we're like, cool, let's see what they catch. And I remember, I think most people know, the thing that's the most memorable about the experiences they've had there is they caught a shadow figure up on one of the landings climbing the stairs. Yeah, looking over, right? Yeah, it's like looking over at them. It's an amazing photo. So you're thinking, wow, these guys are going to be there. What are they going to get? And one of the most disappointing things to me is they completely focused on the tower and the woods You wouldn't even know there was a lighthouse keeper's house there. (laughs) They didn't go anywhere near it. They didn't talk about it. They didn't go inside it. And what was really fascinating about that is the fact that that's where we had most of our experiences. Right. I I have to be honest. I was really disappointed. I mean, we've been been disappointed with all of them, but that one was just the worst because we were like so excited. Well, on that episode, there is a cupboard that is along one of the stair railings on one of the landings. And supposedly that door to that cupboard opened on its own. And it's big enough that it actually hits the railing. And we figured out which cupboard it was. And so we tested it to see if it actually would hit the landing. And so we opened it. And sure enough, it hits the landing and it makes a noise. Yeah, I did it a little too hard. (laughs) But it was about as loud as it was on the show. Right. So you can imagine a spirit opening that or whatever. So we did a live video showing everybody what that would be like. Other than that, they really didn't have any other experiences, except for that they did go out into the woods for a little bit of time and they heard some rustling out there. Oh my gosh, it could have been like a little possum or something for what they heard. (laughs) I mean, Kelly, we have these things called raccoons here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Trash pandas. Make a lot of noise. And also, (laughs) I know when I would go out camping, I got the crap scared out of me one night because I was sitting by the fire by myself and I hear this really loud rustling and it's coming through the darkened woods. It's heading in my direction. And I'm like, okay, what is it? I'm not thinking Bigfoot, obviously, but even if it's a little animal, I'm like, what is going to come out of those woods? Even if it's a little foot. Yeah. And even a (laughs) raccoon, you know, because they can have rabies and stuff. Well, true. But it's funny because you don't need a very large animal to make it sound really big. And so, of course, your imagination goes wild with it, too, if you're not familiar with those kinds of sounds. And Kelly, do you know what stepped out of the woods? For you? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Wasn't it an armadillo? 
Yes. And it wasn't just an armadillo. It was a little, little itty armadillo. bitty baby armadillo. <laughs> Aww. So it, precious. it was adorable, <laughs> but I couldn't believe how much noise this little thing made. Oh, yeah. Well, because they rut around. They, they dig up grubs and stuff and they dig through all the, the dead leaves and all the underbrush. So I have to tell you, when I'm watching the ghost hunters out in the woods and they're like, what was that? And they're flashing their light everywhere and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, there's some big animal out here. I'm thinking, you know what? It's probably an armadillo rutting around. And I kept wanting to go, dude, run. (laughs) I think you did. I I probably did. (laughs) I'm so bad. (laughs) Well, we did a little bit of investigating out there, too. And I wasn't really going to include this, but I thought since they had their little experience out there, that I would go ahead and play our moment that was just like theirs. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Is there anyone out here? Are you one of the children? Oh, hi guys. Hi. Do you like to play out here in the woods? Thank you for joining us. Did you used to play hide and seek out here? Oh, went to a Yes. Be a good place for it. Did you hear something? I'm wondering if it was a car. I'm hoping it was a car. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I heard the same thing you did. You see any eye shine? No. I'm hearing mosquitoes. Yeah, I heard a little bit of a growl. Mm-hmm. I'll see if I, I picked it up in the recorder. I think, I think it was a car. car. Something that I picked up on, like, after the fact. I was yeah. just like, uh, <laughs> let's go. All right. I don't want to be in a community for talking to them. <laughs> We're leaving the woods. There's too many mosquitoes. Going to the... So those monstrous mosquitoes, really, were the ones who scared us out of there. But, Kelly, you and I were hearing something out there. I... I think it probably was a car, but I'm going to go ahead and pull that little piece of the audio out so that everybody can hear <laughs> the growl that we heard in the woods. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'll go ahead and play that ferocious sounding growl again. It's a Yeti. <laughs> So I'm sure it was absolutely a car. There had been a concert going on right when we'd first gotten to the lighthouse uh, in another like park that was right near there. So it was probably just people who were leaving that. Yeah, I was pretty distracted by the mosquitoes, honestly. And so it was like a total after effect of, what did I just hear? <laughs> yeah. And the buzzing in our ears was oh, definitely mosquitoes. Wow. It was really, we spent about five minutes out there and we're like, forget it. Yeah. And I'm a natural repellent for you in terms of the mosquitoes because they just come over and suck my blood and leave you alone. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you (laughs) sacrificing yourself for me. Anything for you, babe. (laughs) Thanks. So I've collected many ghost stories about the lighthouse over the years and many since the original episode that we did on this location, which was episode 76. I'm going to share a story about the first caretaker who started on here after the lighthouse became fully automated in 1955. 
His name was David Swain, and this is from David Lampfin's Ghosts of St. Augustine. The house continued to be occupied. Dan Holliday rented it from the Coast Guard from 1961 until 1967 when the building was vacated and shortly thereafter declared excess property. Mr. Holliday recalls that he paid $36 per month for rent for the place. Mr. Swain lived nearby and continued as a caretaker. Dan recalled many nights sitting in the old house listening to David's strange tales about the keeper's house and the lighthouse. As I remember, Dan said, David never moved around at night without a gun and a flashlight. That tells Jeez. you all something. <laughs> Once the electric motor running the beacon had a series of failures. The first time it happened, David walked toward the lighthouse intent on fixing the motor. It was the middle of the night and very dark. As he walked, he heard other footsteps crunching the gravel behind him. He stopped and turned. The footsteps stopped. He could see no one. When he began walking again, the footsteps followed very close behind. He hurried to the lighthouse and shut the door. As he ascended the stairs, he heard a noise at the bottom. Still, he could see no one. Yet, when he climbed the stairs, he could hear footsteps clanking up behind him. He finally reached the top and went in to check the motor. There were no loose connections. The bearings were all fine. There seemed to be nothing wrong. He turned the switch to off, then back on. The motor started running as smoothly as a clock. Now, very edgy, he wasn't sure what to do. He had to go back down the stairs, but he was frightened. Oh, no. And I mean, if you had something follow you in... That's so unnerving. Huh. And now we know there's something that does hang out down in the bottom of that tower that doesn't like people around. Yeah, apparently. Well, he couldn't stay up in the lighthouse all night, so he took a deep breath and bounded down to the bottom. Pulled his britches up and <laughs> off he went. Yeah. <laughs> From then on, he carried a flashlight and a gun. He knew the gun would be of little use against a ghost, but it gave him comfort. The next night, the beacon stopped rotating again. And again, David hurried over, this time with flashlight and weapon in hand. As on the night before, he heard footsteps on the gravel and on the stairs. But this time he had a little more confidence because I guess he's got that gun with him. For three nights in a row, the beacon stopped. And each time, David found nothing wrong with the motor. Then, as abruptly as they started, the failures ended. Then Dan, who's the guy who rented the place and had told the stories that David had experienced, he had an incident happen there in 1965 when he was running the keeper's house. One night, a friend of his, the stage manager of the play Cross and Sword, came over for dinner. When they finished, it was quite late, so Dan offered a spare room upstairs. His friend accepted. During the night, he awoke and was horrified to see a young girl in a long, lacy dress standing in the doorway. She stood there for several minutes, her face expressionless. Then, without seeming to move, she just faded away. Next morning, he told Dan about the girl. A chill ran down Dan's spine. David Swain had told him about a keeper's daughter who had drowned. Dan had been skeptical. Now I guess he's not so skeptical if your friends are. Yeah, exactly. Several weeks later, another friend from out of town came to spend a few days with Dan and slept in the same room upstairs. He did not know anything about this young girl who had appeared in the doorway, but the next morning he related the same story to Dan. Wow. Did, now, was that a room that we could access? No, you cannot go upstairs in the keeper's house. I think they have offices up there or something now. Oh. So I've never been up there. Oh. Yeah, so this is back when they were renting it as basically an apartment. Right. So we can't even get up there now. But as we know, the girls seem to hang out everywhere. So it doesn't really matter. That's true. Dan was convinced and later mentioned this episode to David. And David just smiled because clearly David had had his own experiences with the female ghost, too. Wow. Well, one day we may see a full bodied apparition. We'll see. It's still <laughs> one of my favorite places to go to. And, and Kelly, as we always say, is the St. Augustine Lighthouse haunted? That. that is for you to decide. But what would you say? 
I would give a resounding yes. <laughs> yes. It's one of the few places when people ask me, is this place haunted? I'll say yes, because I do believe it is. Me too. I just love the St. Augustine Lighthouse. It is such a cool place. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, you have to visit. I'd love to have you guys check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send me some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I did get a message from Audrey over on Instagram. She said, I started listening to your show a few years ago, but have since been slacking and keeping up. If I'm being honest, I forgot about your podcast until last night. Hey, as long as you come back, it's all good. I'm now in college and made some new friends. It's a small community college and nothing to do in town. Well, after rehearsal last night, Brandon and Armand and I didn't want to go home. Instead, I got some food and then we decided to go to the waterfall. This is around 10 at night, so it's dark and there was no moon. However, the skies were clear. One of my friend's phone had died and the other friend's phone was sitting at 9%. I luckily had a charging cord and battery. After an hour of stargazing, we still were not ready to end the fun. So we drove around and as we were driving, my friend Brandon asked if we'd been to Spooky Hollow. Neither Armand or I had even heard of it, so Brandon decided to take us. On the way, I read online about the area. I'll admit it wasn't the best website, but I think there are better, more official ones out there. Brandon then told us the legends. How if you sit on the tracks, car off for a minute, you supposedly get hit by a ghost train. Then further down, you stop, park, and get out. Then throw a coin in the water, and if it comes back up, run. Then there's another spot that if you turn the car off, wait three minutes, turn the lights on, there will be a figure standing there. Then even further down, you stop again, turn off the lights, wait three minutes, and then drive down the road, and the dear lady should appear and follow the car. I don't even want to know what she looks like. So further still, there's a place that you stop again. Well, as you probably guessed, we tempted the spirits. Nothing too spooky happened. The train thing didn't work, and as we waited for the coin, we heard tires, so we had to get out of there. Well, the figure one didn't happen, and neither did the deer lady. However, we did see deer, which scared Armand. Brandon drove further down and made the comment that if it wasn't muddy, we'd do the next stop. Well, it wasn't muddy, but it was sandy, and so we got stuck. Well, after trying to get ourselves out, calling the cops and trying to call a tow truck, Brandon finally called his friend Drew. As we waited for Drew, a pair of headlights pulled up behind us. It was four ladies who ghost hunt. If it weren't for us being stuck, it would have been them. Well, they said they would stay and keep us company. I stood and talked with them for a while. Then one lady said to get the spirit box out and we could talk to ghosts. As soon as that was said, I said that due to having class in a few hours, I said I needed to try and get some sleep. So I sat in the car and they went off to talk to ghosts. Well, sometime later, I was almost asleep and woke up to tapping on the window. It was Brandon and he said that the girls wanted me to say goodbye to the ghosts. I was confused and said why, but I did say goodbye anyway. Turns out the ghost told the girls to leave, like right then. So they left and we were left to wait. Eventually we were rescued, but all night, even before we got stuck, Don't Tempt the Spirits was rattling around my brain. Well, if you think about it, Audrey, they wouldn't have known that those spirits wanted them to leave had they not had a spirit box telling them that. So maybe it was okay that you were there and you were being peaceful. You were just sleeping. Sounds like there's some great legends at Spooky Hollow. Thanks for sharing those. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank everybody else for listening. I've been your host, Diane. You take care. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank everybody else for listening. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> this episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. I want to thank Jade Lewis for increasing her contributions. She's going to be moving into a grand mausoleum. 
Then we want to welcome into the cemetery, Jenna Eggleston. You're going to be buried under an obelisk headstone. And Adriana Masson and Donna Litchfield, you both are going to be buried in chess tombs. Thank you, ladies, for your support. It's greatly appreciated. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts.